millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So as I'm recording this, polls are closing on the eastern seaboard for the 2020 U.S. election. To say I am nervous and anxious is an obvious understatement. We are at a precipice of global political unrest for at least the third time in my life, and I know I joke I'm old, but I'm not that old, guys. Greetings, Attic Wives, and welcome to Fuckboys of Lit. I'm Emily Edwards. Maybe I'll record an addendum to this if everything goes swimmingly and democratically, but I'm a realist, not a political zealot, so that's probably not going to happen. I don't know what to say, other than the fact that I did not exactly think through posting a show about the nearly endless process of democratizing France the day after the election. What can I say? It's just luck. My friends, at some point Victor Hugo spells out what it takes to create a revolution that works. We go into it in this show, and hopefully you're taking notes. To be fair, I was and am scared. But once again, there's a life about to start when tomorrow comes. So with me today is filmmaker, director, writer, all-around lovely human being, Jonathan Aid. How the hell are you? Oh, it depends on the minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the fourth or fifth podcast in a row where I, I, I want to say like the most loaded question we're going to ask is, how are you doing? But we're discussing Les Mis, so that may not actually be the most loaded question that we discuss. <laughs> oh, man. Last week was just like... Every single day felt like a crisis that you could not solve, you know? (laughs) It's endless. It is absolutely endless. Like, it feels like a writer on cocaine is just writing this entire country. And I don't know what to do about that. It's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, only worse. (laughs) Oh, it's... um, I'm I'm blanking. Uh, who's, Who's that cocaine writer who writes West Wing? Oh, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, it's like a, it's very like it's like it's like negative Sorkin. It is. It's like it's like the inverse of West Wing. It's the same demon Sorkin. Everyone is just like backstabbing each other and giving each other coronavirus. Actually, did you see that? Did you see that tweet where it was like um, an episode of Veep, but like everyone is bragging about their access to the president because. (laughs) of their diagnosis of coronavirus. Oh my God. I will tell you right now that like just before we started recording, my mother tweeted because I follow her on Twitter. She's just like, it really tells you something that Stephen Miller got coronavirus from Trump and not his wife. And I was like, (laughs) ah, mom. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. He's one of the, he's one of the few, you know, I was talking about this with with Tara the other, other night. Um, Tara's my girlfriend for, you know, listeners at home. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> people who don't know Jonathan personally. Uh, and we were talking about, it and I was like, "So like, a, there's only like a few people I wish death upon. Like most yes. people, like I would like if they lost power, yeah. I would hate them, but I don't wish them to die." Yeah, my personal favorite is I hope they lose conspicuous teeth. Like oh, I hope yeah. 
you just lose very obvious teeth. Like, sorry. That feels like a that feels like um a curse from like the Torah or something. <laughs> you know? I have a lot of old Sicilian grandma in me. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, there's a lot of overlap there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Stephen Miller is one where it was just like there might actually be a celebration in the streets. He is a deeply yeah. evil person. Oh, incredibly evil. Extraordinarily evil. Yeah, he's not even fiction evil because fiction evil has to have like a motive. Like, you know, there's like <laughs> supernatural evil where it's just like evil for the sake of evil, and that's Stephen Miller. You know, I wonder. I wonder if he does have his own kind of origin story where, like, someone like you know pushed him into a locker at Santa Monica High School or something like that, and he's like, you know what? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that it's just parentage with people like that. It's just, they just grew up in it and it sucks. It just sucks. That's interesting you say that because I don't know about Stephen Miller's parents explicitly, but I do know that other members of his family have disowned him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because, yeah, there's like at least his uncle or something like actually hate on him. Now that you mention it, you, I, my brain is remembering that that is very true. That like at least some member in his family is like, we didn't raise you to be like this. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Um, I don't know. Some people are just jerks. Uh, We don't have to talk about Stephen Miller though. No. (laughs) (laughs) Though it is like a reasonable segue to (laughs) discussing really one of the most like Debbie Downer books in history, but. Um, weirdly life affirming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, um, I was, I was so. So we had done, we did an episode um, previous to this where we discussed. Um, um, Franny and Zoe. Uh, Franny and Zoe. I'm sorry, I was about to say Buddy and Seymour, but that's the name of my cats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are, yeah, those are on my mind. Um, and uh and yeah but so you were like you want to do another episode i said sure and you had a list of um kind of how would you describe your list i described them as eligible fuck boys um (laughs) you know it's like this 70s dating game you know show where it's like who are you gonna go home with this week (laughs) oh that's that's beautiful yeah um so i selected uh i selected a very very um a big one (laughs) <laughs> um, um, which like i knew it was long but i didn't know it's literally like 1400 pages it is and i actually i mean i i am surprised that you decided to go with the unabridged version um the abridged version is fine <laughs> like you don't lose anything you don't lose anything in the process. Um, you know, I decided just to bite the bullet and go for the whole thing. A lot of times I don't actually read the book. Like if it's doing graphic novels or, or I'm doing a show with someone I really, really like, I'm not going to read the book. And sometimes that happens. Um, but this one, I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And because I've never read it before. And I have a weird fascination with Victor Hugo. Um, yes, which I'm. I would love to uh, pick your brain about. <laughs> but first, I want to ask because, like, in your own words, you were obsessed with Les Mis when you were in your early, early teenagers, and I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think, I mean, the the short answer is that um, I saw the musical. Oh yeah. Um, when I was twelve or thirteen years old. Okay. 
and um, because my uh, my nana lived in lived in Queens in New York, and okay. one of the and I'm I'm from Northern Virginia, so we would you know go up frequently to visit. And um, a ritual that we would often do oh, is we would I stand in that. Yeah. You know that half price ticket line in Times yeah. Square. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Yeah, right. So um, we would we'd stand that line and see a bunch of musicals, and you know my 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 nana was a big musical buff, and so like you know I don't remember I don't remember exactly the circumstances of, of how I ended up seeing it, but <laughs> it was I mean it was just it, was, it completely knocked my knocked my socks off. Yeah, it was a huge deal on Broadway, like during its like 90s run i saw it a couple times um because uh, you know i lived outside of new york city so it was like let's take a trip everybody we're gonna go see a broadway matinee and it was like what are you gonna choose because like running at the same time is like rent and if you're a little you know if you're of a certain age you're not gonna go and see that one and then i was like uh les mis Mm -hmm. and like kiss of the spider woman which like nobody ever like everybody saw but that's not appropriate for teenagers so like les mis is a solid choice until you realize it's literally about the depths of human misery (laughs) i know but there's no but there's no sexuality well no they're actually that's not true there is (laughs) because there's the prostitutes singing um (laughs) but But you can just kind of rationalize you'll think they're pretty ladies like (laughs) and i will tell you that as a 13 year old boy my favorite song from that musical was Master of the House because he curses in it. <laughs> so and I'm like, and oh my God, did they just say ass? <laughs> I am so into this musical. This is the um, most scandalous thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> it was, it, it very much, it was for me. Um, I think, so I think, and I think that that's actually interesting when you, you know, my connection to, you know, the Thenardiers like is, is very much, one of like, oh, look at these clowns. Only later, you know, in the next like year or two, I realized just how truly despicable, despicably evil they are. But when I was, you know, when I was 13, um, Master of the House, like these are just a couple of clowns. These are the comic relief. Yes, very much uh, they are related musical, to the comic relief. <laughs> which I have mixed feelings about yeah. um, in a musical form as an adult. Yeah. But, you know, I was, yeah. Since I was 13, I was obsessed. So I, I saw the musical and um, I just, I loved it. You know, my parents had the soundtrack on, on CD, which I, I wore out. Um, <laughs> it's possible to wear out a CD. Is it? <laughs> um, I don't know if you don't handle it correctly, if you scratch yeah, it. Yeah, they do degrade. I've had um, my musician husband explain to me how physical media is all going to degrade over time. And it's just like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I could, I could actually go on and on about film uh, preservation <laughs> and like, digital media and all that kind of stuff. Cause I think about that stuff a lot too, but yeah, I mean, it's not going to wear out like a record, but like, yeah, it does. It does. I think the silvery bits chip off and then you can't play it anymore. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, and then I eventually, you know, my, my parents got me the abridged version okay. um, wisely because, you know, I'm still uh, a middle They're school. Very good parents. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I remember blasting through it and um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for the unabridged. I want to see what I'm missing. And I don't remember exactly <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I was thinking at that time, but I think part of me was like, mm, not missing that much actually. No, 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 you're missing a lot, a lot of descriptions of like sewers and cobblestones, mm-hmm. um, the Catholic Church, quilting, silversmithing. It just goes on. It, it, he yeah. must have been obsessed with the trades. 
<laughs> you know, I think I think he was, and I think actually, in regards to the the, the sewer system and stuff, which you know, obviously, you have read and I read, or yeah. more familiar with now than I am. But I think what what is interesting about it is that like the Paris of Les Mis is so much different. Was changed already by the time he had started writing it. Yes, like um, that, like they had completely changed the city from this old world, this medieval Paris to kind of like the Paris that we kind of know today. Yeah. Um. So I think in a in a way he was kind of nostalgic for. In a way, it's 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 actually. <laughs> It is this kind of likeness, this like nostalgic piece where he's like looking back at, you know, his, his years coming up in France and specifically Paris, you know, and, yeah. and like yeah. thinking about them fondly and like wanting to remember every single detail, whether the audience ca- or the reader cares about it or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, this feels like a very deeply personal book to Victor Hugo. Um, like in just, we have to state what is obvious to a lot of people, but we can't assume that everyone listening is aware, but Les Miserables is not about the French Revolution. It is just no. 40 years after the fact. Like, this is basically Victor Hugo writing about, like, the politics of his life. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely interesting for him to sort of muse about, you know, the feuds between different political factions. And then also he'll, he'll say like, oh, this is taking place on a street that isn't there anymore. Or they tore down this beautiful building, even though it, you know, it meant a lot to me and things like that. And it's, it's very deeply author insert of commentary about like what's happening in and around Paris at the time that it's taking place. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people confuse it with the French Revolution because there is a revolutionary spirit yeah. that runs through it, especially, you know, in the, in the back half of, of the novel and the musical. Um, and so there's this kind of like assumption that like, oh, this is about, this is when France finally became a permanent republic for all time. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> nope. Not exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, because we were having a text conversation for like the last week or so of just being like, I know a little bit about French history from just taking like AP European history and like reading a lot of Wikipedia and like history articles about, you know, France and how it got from there to here. But like, is it's dense and it is complicated. Yeah, it is very, it's incredibly complicated. It's so complicated that actually like, when Hugo goes into like kind of the very specifics about like what it means to be a Republican, you know, in mm-hmm. French revolutionary sort of Republican versus a Royalist versus, you know, like I, I have to admit that like my eyes glaze over just a tiny bit because I, I am not well versed in yeah. that, in the particularities, you know, of that time yeah. period. And also I don't speak French. I don't speak a lick of French. So a lot of it is also, a lot of the book is also there's songs and poems and things like that, that he uses uh, to describe what's happening and how people feel about things. And they are, at least in the copy that I read, very much in French. Mm -hmm. And um, you'd kind of just don't get the spirit of what he's discussing exactly if you are not a French person. For sure, and I mean, like you know, there's some. I'm at least in my in my abridged version, the um, the uh, translator and um, a bridge a bridge er. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that is what their title I, is. That sounds wrong. Um, he does a, he does a pretty good job of like 
you know, um, putting little asterisks and like uh, and footnotes about like certain French words that you know may have may have like one or more meanings. Like yeah. un, where like you really need to like have the word in there, and then a little context at the bottom. Um, I really recommend this version. It's the yeah. Barnes and Noble version, believe oh, it or not. That's but, awesome. Um, but they 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 did it. They did a pretty pretty great job. Oh, thank goodness. Because there is, especially by the time you get to Gavroche at the end and everything mm-hmm. he says is sort of in double speak, oh, I yeah, was really right, kind right. of starting to lose. You know, obviously I'd seen stage show. I understand the character of Gavroche, who's like this little street urchin who's always mm-hmm. just basically going, fuck you to everybody. Yeah. Um, so I understood the spirit of what he was saying, but I felt like I missed a lot of the actual, you know, tone and things like that just from the translation of both French to English and also 150 years ago to now. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I mean, this is interesting because we're talking about comic relief. You yeah. Know, like, in the book, the Nardies are not comic relief. They're no. bad people. But Gavroche is funny. Yes. Funny yes, in the book. In fact, he's got some really killer lines in there that I can't remember off the top of my head because I didn't do any um I didn't do any note taking when I was <laughs> And the book is fourteen hundred pages long. <laughs> very, a very, very long book. But he like he's just like he's he's very quick witted. Yeah. Um, and actually I wonder if Hugo is like at that point being like, oh man, this is a lot of heavy shit. <laughs> I feel like he probably was where he's just like, oh, we're in the last, oh, I don't know, 400 pages. Time to kick it up a notch. Well, let's, let's have like a funny character. <laughs> but I mean, he's also, I think, the most deeply tragic character of the entire book. I mean, we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but he's like literally neglected from birth and then he's yeah. seven and gets shot. Like it is totally and I actually horrible. I, yeah. Um I actually forgot that he is actually the Thenardier's son. Yeah. Um, because in the musical he's just a street urchin and he's like, hey I'm just the street urchin. Hey, how's yeah. it going? Gary, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It feels very Ron Howard, the Wells Fargo wagon, but like. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, he's um, he's their son. And in, I think, one of the really like most, the sweetest and saddest moments in the, in the book, he um, is taking care of his two little brothers, right? And he doesn't know that. But he doesn't brothers. know that they're his brothers, but he like takes care of them anyway. And they like sleep in this hollowed out elephant. Yeah, um, that's filled with rats. Yeah, it's just viscerally like, disgusting. But it's like it's it's his you know it's his home, and he's like, I don't know. There's something there's something really sad about watching a child pretend to be an adult and like take care of. That of is the most. Yeah, that's the perfect encapsulation of that level of tragedy of like, because all the other people who are minors in the book, where you have Eponine and uh, Marius and a bunch of other characters who are technically minors, but they don't behave like adults. Yeah, oh yeah, right. And also, just as a weird fact, the kid who plays Dustin on Stranger Things, he got his start playing um, Gavroche and Le- on Les Mis in Broadway. And really? so, like, all I can do is imagine that adorable, like, curly-haired oh child, like, playing this character. Oh, that's wonderful. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. That's yeah, great. and um, Lucas <laughs> was actually Simba and the Lion King. So they, like, go oh, back on so Broadway. Kids. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's a good Gavroche. Yeah, he's a really good Gavroche. I'm trying to imagine him even tinier than he was in like season one in Stranger Things. No. 
Oh, that's beautiful. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look up that image later. Very small child, and it just breaks your heart even more. I know, yeah, I mean that's yeah that's the thing is it like you know you were like you know Hugo is a dramatist, and then the musical kicks it up a notch. Like you're supposed to be in you know fall in love with this little kid, only to watch him die. You know on on the barricades. Mm -hmm. You know, not not much soon soon after. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, yeah. Gavroche is a great, great character. Not a fuck boy. No, no, Gavroche is delightful. Like a regular boy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those like Aladdin situations where he's like, I got to steal to eat. And it's like, yeah. you should have parents. Like, <laughs> none of this is your fault. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And especially if your parents are the Fenardios, it's like, oh, Jesus, oh, kid, get out of there as soon as you can. Yeah. Because, like, in the stage show, the Tenardier is really. Um, do have this, they are the clowns. They are just clowns yeah. through and through the, you know, uh, from costuming to makeup to the jokes that they're given, they are not presented as anything but characters you're supposed to be laughing at. And then, oh my stars, when I read this and realized they are basically the epitome of human evil. Um, mm -hmm. it was really jarring. Yeah, they are. I think they're, I mean, you had, I mentioned this, uh, earlier maybe you'd written this down somewhere i can't remember but i think you'd mentioned like thinking of um javert as evil and um my feeling is that javert is an antagonist but that the Thenardiers are actual like villains yeah if yeah. that makes sense um, i you know i do have extreme issues with javert but like sure. not on the same visceral like animalistic level as i do with the tenardiers oh yeah for, for for sure they're like they're just never not being evil yeah <laughs> never um, being being um completely being selfish i guess the the very tiniest of exceptions is that um the uh, Mrs. Thenardier. They don't have first names. Um, no, no. She doesn't the, even. They usually even call her call her like the Thenardiers, where like yeah, she right. Get like yeah. a formal last name. Right. Um, but anyway, I think I think she has at the beginning when we first meet them has a genuine love for her daughters. Yeah. Um, but that evaporates pretty quickly, especially as they grow up. Um, yeah. I don't remember. Her doting on them as like, how old no. is Eben Eponine and her sister? And in, in, in um, the end of the, is it she fifteen or? Yeah, Eponine's like fifteen or sixteen because she's younger than Marius. Right, um, Mar Marius is um got to be like twenty, nineteen twenty, isn't he? Yeah, nineteen twenty. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the Azelma, who's the younger daughter, they don't really. She doesn't speak. She's just <laughs> nothing. She's just she's uh, cut from the musical. Yeah. Yeah, she is. Thank she doesn't do. She doesn't do anything no. in the book. But like yeah. her, her parents, the Tenardiers, just like treat them like dolls when they're children. Yeah, and then like right. her covetousness over them changes so much when she realizes that Eponine brings in not Eponine, um, Cosette brings in money, mm -hmm. and her daughters don't. Right. 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 And then all of a sudden, like Cosette, when they're when the Tenardiers are uh, watching after her um, while Fantine does her dying, um, like <laughs> you know, like Cosette has a dollar amount attached to her, so she automatically she's more valuable, right? And that's that's more or less how they. I think this is I, I think what 
I mean, something I think we'll return to over and over again was like, why did I become obsessed with this as a thirteen-year-old boy? Like, I need to what? know. No, it's, it's no, it's 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 a good, it's a really good question. And um, you know, I think the short answer is like the musical definitely brought me into that world. But I think what kept me there is that all of these different characters are basically trying to survive in a really unjust world yeah in very in various ways and they've all made choices and some of them are good choices and some of them are bad choices but they all come from um a survival instinct Mm -hmm. um to do whatever they need to do to continue breathing um and that i think is what connects me with with the work is that like in the face of social injustice there are many different ways to react yeah all of them are understandable but not all of them are right yeah i think it it was incredibly timely to read i think another reason why i chose to read the unabridged version is just because it is just so deeply analogous to america now and i mentioned this in like the notes that i had sent you it's just like i have very very complicated feelings about the French Revolution. So, um, which is a very weird sentence to say and like (laughs) casually offhand. But like, uh, you know, I just, I think it's misunderstood by people who call themselves revolutionaries now um, in a way that is not benefiting the discourse on like what actually needs to happen. And so like rereading this and seeing just like the decades and decades of deep despairing struggle that came after what was considered like a successful revolution. Like right. I, I just needed to read it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. I think that like, I think there's a lot of, and in fact, actually like, you know, even before the, like, I think back when I was in high school, maybe early college, I had an idea of wanting to um, stage the musical but set it in the late 60s during Ooh. the time of, you know, another time of uh, America unrest, American mm-hmm. unrest. And it's only rereading it now that I'm like, oh, shit, you could put it today. Yeah. Like, and like th- it pretty much and and put it in the context, um, especially in America, of, a ra- of racial justice. And you could do a very interesting take, not necessarily as a musical. Um, no, no, no. But like, I think that, you know, it would be, an incredibly compelling miniseries and um you heard it here first folks exactly uh it's Don't my idea with WGA. <laughs> but i know but i was rereading it and i was like you know this is something this is a text that i've loved for a long time and i would i would love to adapt it into into that context because i think it's i think it's incredibly incredibly relevant and um and understandable and you know sad in many ways how how little has changed yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the most glaring bit of it in that, um, you know, America also has been a country of uh, interesting revolution. And, you know, it, it's it, what's odd is that you can historically compare the French Revolution to the American Revolution. And um, and a lot of it's obviously because the Americans did not support 
the French Revolution in any way, shape, or form, mm -hmm. but um, which kind of made it sticky. Uh, but also the fact that like the American revolutionaries, like the George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and a whole lot of other schmucks, like they <laughs> were middle class, upper middle class to even rich men who were really upset about money stuff. And yeah. I don't want to debase, you know, actual real deadly revolution, but like, so was the French revolution. It was upper sure. middle class dudes who were upset about money stuff. And I think that, you know, the, the revolution in Les Mis is a similar type of there, there are student revolutionaries yes. who are very privileged. Yes. And, you know, I mean, they're, I don't, I don't believe they're all rich like Marius is. Um, although Marius, you know, Marius is rolling in it if you just get his head out of his ass. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I knew we were going to talk mostly about Marius as a fuckboy. Um, yep. <laughs> that's that. But, like, it's astonishing to me how much more of a fuckboy he is in the novel than he is even <laughs> on stage. Yeah. I, Marius is one of those guys that you look back on now that you're in your 30s and you're like, oh, Jesus, dude. Like yeah. you have no, you are shooting every goal you have in the foot because you're just a pugnacious jerk. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, like he's a lot, I mean, in many ways he's acting like a middle schooler, I'd say, but like, he's got a lot of like identity issues mm -hmm. because of the, you know, the conflict between his grandfather and his, and his, you know, his father's identity, whom he never yeah. grew up with, um, which, you know, like would put a chip on your shoulder. But like, I think what's interesting about the musical is um, they did a much better job making Marius sympathetic yeah. and um, intertwining um, his uh, budding relationship with Cosette with um, him joining up with this revolutionary movement. Yeah. Like, you know, as you might recall in the musical, it's basically like, you know, they're all gathering around. It's like, oh, Marius met a girl, our best friend Marius. Uh -huh. And he's like, oh, you guys. And he's like, you know. Shucks. Like oh, they went man. to high school together and they've known right. each other like they, forever. And just one of them happens to be a revolutionary. And they're like, whatever, you're the best looking out of all of us. We're just going to follow you. Like, yeah, like, you know, in the book, he he meets them, has an embarrassing moment where he's like, you know, still on his, still working on his daddy issues in public. And he's super into Napoleon, which is like always yeah. a no-no in France. I know. It's just like, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very strange. But like, because his dad served in the Napoleonic army, like, I think that's, that's why, right? So. Yeah, that is. And then, and then he doesn't see them for a long time. And then there's the, the stuff where he's, you know, following Cosette around a garden. <laughs> For I want to say a hundred pages. Um, yeah, it's a long ass time. So he's like following her around the garden, and and then like he basically only joins the barricades when he learns that she's going to move to England, mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, "My girlfriend's moving to England. I want to die." And he basically goes to the barricades in like this like death wish. Yep, exactly. Like he goes there to like, well, if I can't have her, I don't want anybody. And then he like, he goes there and then like, suddenly they're like, Marius. And then he like, you know, <laughs> saves the day a little bit. And they're like, you're always with us. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. I, yeah. yeah. And Angel Ra is basically like, sweet. If another person dies in my revolution, all the better. And you're just like, this is not a good outlook that you want to have when you're trying to make a political point. 
it's very it's 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 a in in the musical they do a they intertwine in such a way where like when he's singing empty chairs and empty tables you're like oh my god he lost his friends but there's nothing like that in um in the book no um marius is a much i'm surprised i was actually surprised uh to learn how much of a of a a weaker character he was oh and actually there's I'm i'm sorry to interrupt no go for it okay so um there is that 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 moment that I did text you about as I was reading it that I was like so I thought was so funny because there's okay correct me if I'm wrong but like there's this moment where um, Marius is spying on Cosette and and Jean Valjean uh-huh. um, you know again for the millionth again because he like, just lurks at them like a real great a creeper from afar yeah like um, and so then like they're walking Jean Valjean and Cosette are walking past and like a breeze kind of like kicks up Cosette's skirt a tiny mm-hmm. bit to reveal what her like thigh or something. Yeah. Like and- they, it stopped below her garter. So like <laughs> below her, like just above her knee. And Marius is like, I can't believe it. That slut, you know, like he's just <laughs> like, he, blame, he like, blames her for it. Yep. And it's just like, and then eventually forgives her for it. And I'm like, what is your fucking problem, dude? It's like wind, you jackass. It's just like, like I don't know, like, like, and and then there's that whole feeling of like, okay, wait, and I don't know if you have this feeling when you're when you're reading something from the past. You're like, how, okay, so we're reading this character. How much is this character indicative of real people, and how yeah. much of it is like? an exaggeration of the writer's imagination. Mm-hmm. I, I feel I have this conflict quite often. Yeah. I'm sure, sh- I'm sure he is like, like how extraordinary is this person? Like, I'll, like 200 years from now, when you're like, I don't know, watching back to the future or something like that, you see Marty McFly. How, how many people are going to be like, okay, Marty McFly is a typical teenager or like Marty McFly is, you know, this exaggerated every man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how, how close to a normal reality is this I mean, piece of piece this work not to compare literature to, to back to the future but i do love back but to like future. you know this is taking place in like the 1830s and like paris in the 1830s is really debaucherous this is like oh, yeah, right this is like sex workers everywhere like moulin rouge can can dancing topless girls tons of drugs everywhere and marius is walking around like he is a catholic priest and even yeah. the catholic priests are like eh, have fun with the girls like <laughs> And he's like, no, <laughs> you know. I have to say, like the icing on the Marius cake for me was when Marius you know, cake. Sorry, <laughs> it's it's anchovy flavored. Like it's just not an a palatable cake. Um, where Cassette tells him that like they're going away. She doesn't know for how long, but they're going to England. And Victor Hugo describes his reaction as putting his head up against a tree and not moving for two hours. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's just sitting there going like, okay. Like the entire time she's just like twiddling her thumbs and he's like moping for two hours. Oh, he's a, he's a mopey Marius for sure. Oh. Yeah. He's incredibly, I was, I was, it's, it's really funny actually how, how, how mopey is. Um, and like, just how little, how little, how little he does to earn her her affections, <laughs> and like how little he does to help on the barricades. And then he's saved by Jean Valjean. And then like once they get married, Cosette and Marius, that is, yeah. um, 
like he basically like all of a sudden John like everyone just like he's suddenly the Baron, you know, Paul Marseille, like yeah. where where he's like everyone like um which I guess, you know, is probably it's probably rooted in some, you know, early nineteenth century French custom that I'm not familiar with. Like, like it's not like he was he was technically born to be a baron, but like his father was just declared a baron because he participated in the Napoleonic War. Like it's not a real baronial like seat. He doesn't have land and shit. Right, right, it. right. But I, I guess what I mean is just that like Jean Valjean is like super um, deferential to him, like when he's yeah. telling him who he really is and stuff like that. You know, and like that goes, and, that goes much more back into who Jean Valjean is than I think who Marion Marius is in the book. Yes, I think I think I think you are right. But I was mad at him for being like, yeah, you're right. You should definitely never come here again. <laughs> And you're like, um, oh. hold on, dude. Like, it's just like, like, I'm sorry. Like, are criminals viewed? Like, yes. I don't know. Uh, that's one of those things where it's like, is this Marius or is this like the general uh, feeling of people in polite society in 19th century France, where it's like, oh, you are a criminal for stealing a loaf of bread, bread to feed your family. <gasps> you're not fit. To, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like. I think the assumption was not that – well, I don't think the crime had anything to do with people's reactions to you. I am not a historian. I don't know this. So if you guys know this who are listening, please tell me on Twitter. But, like, I have a feeling just the fact of going to jail was enough to sully you from society forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's def- – yeah, that's 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 the sense – that's the sense that I get. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. fairly historically accurate because they kind mm-hmm. of assumed that if you went to jail, you were going to be surrounded by other and perhaps worse criminals and oh. you were just going to be involved in crime forever, um, whereas right. like jail was supposed to be a lifelong – penitent catholic punishment mm-hmm. where you're supposed to like mortify your body in order to like make up for the deep sins that you have committed and like a lot of it just goes back to actually like 19th century catholicism where it's like mm-hmm. you have sinned and like unless you really purify yourself you're not escaping it well that and that actually does make sense of javert's eternal distrust of Jean Valjean. Yeah. Um, Also, uh, because Jean Valjean does also have, um, you know, he has supernatural abilities. You know, he's always described as being stronger than the average man. He can climb walls that don't have uh, niches or cracks in them. Jean Valjean is cunning to an extreme. And, you know, he has all of these sort of supernatural uh, facets to him that would make someone like Javert who believes in natural law and order to be mm. very squeamish of him. Right. So he sees them as like, only the devil can lift this car to save this man. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Right. And because Javert, like the, he's so deeply evil to me because he cannot see scale. Um, You know, it's like, obviously, Jean Valjean, he's arrested for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving sister and her seven kids. And then Javert is like, "Mm, you should die. Like, you can't have any concept of scale. It's all just black and white to him. Yeah. And I think, well, you know, just going back to like the whole, the kind of the difference between seeing the Thénardiers and Javert as, as two, you know, 
uh, as antagonist characters. Antagonist, yeah. Yeah, but because uh, for me, it was just like, I think, because I think Javert personally is, um, is because, and I say this as someone, I like to think of myself as principled as well, mm-hmm. that like, you know, principle can be blinding. Yeah. Um, and that, and that is very much true of, you know, it, in today's co- contemporary culture, like yeah. of people on the left as well as people on the right, you know, like, um, you know, is that ideology can, can be blinding yeah. even, even when it's, you know, you're doing it to, to help people. Yeah. And, and so I think that Javert absolutely mm-hmm. believes that, um, there is that maintaining, you know, peace and, and order through corrective measures is essential to maintaining order in, in society. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't like, you know, Thanatiers are like, they're despicable and they're, they're calculating and they're cunning and they're very cynical and there's no, there's no law to mm-hmm. them. It's just whatever they can do to survive. I mean, that's why the Thanat, like, like uh, Thanatier is like in the sewer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he belongs in the sewer. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's like he's like those rats, you know, like mm-hmm. navigating the sewer, surviving at, at any cost, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 I don't think Javert. I don't think Javert is like. I'm not. Listen, I'm not saying he's a good. He's not a good character. And at, oh, no. at no point does, does he does he like. No. Is he um, redeemable? No, is he redeemable. No, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think he's redeemable. Um. But there are, I think that Hugo puts in a lot of little details that at least lead you to believe this is, this is, um, this person has, has a past and has a reason of, of why he is the way he is. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, as you recall, like Javert was, was his, he was born inside a jail. Yes, he was. Um, so I think that like his entire life is trying to, <laughs> escape from that jail and yeah. seeing Jean Valjean as someone who tried to escape from jail, like deeply resents him for it or deeply resents him for like escaping, escaping justice. But he's trying to escape that as well. Yeah. Um, he's just doing but, it through the only way he knows how, which is um, to be an asshole stickler. Just deeply, you know, it's hard when you have a, a 1400 page book and one character will not see nuance it's mm-hmm. very, it seems very counterintuitive to how deep and rich Hugo is willing to make the story. No, Marius is really just a character that, aside from his fetishization of Cosette and his, you know, oh. um, his hard and fast political stuff that, you know, without being able to see the nuance of politics and, uh, you know, also play acting revolutionary and stuff like that. Like it, Marius is like a whole great big bag of things that I hate about human beings. And then, <laughs> and, and yeah. then just like on top of that is also just the fact that like his mortification was selfish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was for, it was for no one's, I mean, like he, he went through his own painful experience so that he can have a painful experience and feel bad about himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of reminds me of like, there's few worse sins in Catholicism than taking your own life. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's pretty much across the board in a lot of religions. Um, but like Javert kills himself because he's failed to catch Jean Valjean and he feels like he doesn't deserve like 
heaven, essentially. But Marius is like, I'm going to die because my girlfriend's leaving. And that's not a good reason. Like, that's not, that's no, not an obvious reason. I mean, it is, I mean, in true fuckboy form, like, that is like, I mean, I'm actually surprised he's, the old, he's as old as he is because that seems like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old thing to do. You know, when your yeah. emotions are that big, <laughs> I guess he's a late bloomer. Um, although I, I, I do want to, um, I do want to take issue, I think, with your reading of Javert's suicide and the reason he does it. Though. Go for it. Um, and it could be that, like, I'm just, you know, because that's the other thing about like me, you know, quote unquote, knowing this book so well, air quotes, knowing this book so well, um, is that like. I've had a lot of time to think about it. And every time you, you know, when you like think about something, but you haven't read in a while, like your brain starts to deviate from the text a bit. Absolutely. Like, and you're like, it's like, well, I remember it this way. So that's, that's how that was the intention. Yeah. So I could be, I could very well be wrong here, but I always thought his suicide was this kind of like this, not, not because he had failed to catch him um, because he did catch him. That's true. And let him go, but anybody let him go because Jean Valjean let him go. And he was presented with this, like this, this paradox of, of that, like that is unresolvable in his mind where Jean Valjean is this, like, is this monstrous character who everybody knows he would, he probably, he should have shot Javert when he had the chance and did not do so. So like, that's insane. That doesn't make any sense. And then suddenly, you know, this person who had never seen shades of gray's entire life, not even 50 of them. Um, <laughs> Were I'm you sorry. sitting on that joke? <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't. But like, I, you don't have to include that garbage. I'm gonna, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's embarrassing. Um, I'll cut it out. It's fine. <laughs> No, it, it's 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 totally up to you. I'm I'm okay embarrassing myself. Um, but you know, Javert's like inability to see Shades of Grey his entire life and to view this person suddenly, you know, I think that he's 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 basically realizes that the, the letter of the law and the spirit of the law can be different. Yeah. Um, and that like, and that is a, and that is a, a world incompatible with how he felt the entire his entire life and that there's just no way to go but down. Yeah. I, I mean that's that's how I always always read that. I um, I that's a much more accurate reading of it. He's just broken by the concept of nuance. Like it's <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, like he's like wait a second, but he's nice to me. But I hate him. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> his entire life on Twitter, and then he realized that there's more that you can communicate than just like however many characters, and he just like can't do it and hucks himself off a bridge. Yeah, I mean, but you, there's plenty of there's plenty of people like that. They're just like you know they cling to their worldview for structure and yeah. sanity, um, and the simpler it is to understand. You know, like it's that it's this it's the reason that you can't talk to QAnon people. You know it's what true. I mean? It's, it's like this, it, it's self. It's a self reinforcing delusion. Um, delusion, right? Exactly. That like that see is hermetically sealed. Um, yeah. And every a chance, every chance to break it open just reinforces it somehow. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, it's tr- like, it's truly, and for someone like me who likes to argue with people online mm-hmm. stupidly, um, it just ends up, you know, it just ends up blowing, blowing up, blowing up my yeah. face. But yeah, like, it's actually that critical thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's something actually, there is another thing about the book that I'm glad to have spent the time with, because, you know, in the, in the musical, like essentially he meets, he meets Jean Valjean and Marius outside the sewer mm-hmm. and, and John Valjean's like, I gotta get this guy to a doctor, and then John Vel- and then Javert lets him go, right? Uh-huh. And in the book, like he calls a carriage, and they like go to he like, uh-huh. he, like they're in the they're in the carriage together, riding together, and with you know with Marius who's you know close to death, yeah. and like you know drops him off, and then follows him back to you know John Valjean's house. And he says, "Like, okay, I'm gonna wait for you out here." And then Jean Valjean looks over, looks down the down the window, out of the window, and Jair is gone. Yeah. So it's like he not only like because in the musical he just simply lets him go, and then he has this conflict, you know, this conflict of faith, and then he he kills himself. But like in the book, there's just so much more that happens, and I think all of those little things, you know, he helped carry Maris's body into his grandfather's house. Yeah. You know, like there's just the, something deeply lovely actually about him delivering him to essentially a clean bed mm-hmm. and like because that's all Javert's I'm not Javert Jean Valjean's house was at that point to him because Cosette wasn't or no Cosette was still in it but um they weren't married yet but uh it, yeah it, it just delivering someone to the safety of their home is a very deeply lovely and caring gesture that and then what's so funny to me is that, like, he then, uh, you know, when Javert is having his, like, complete and total mental breakdown, he goes to a watch house and writes down all these reforms he thinks should be made to the prison system and the, oh, and the criminal justice system. And wait, then he tells him, yeah. Wait, I'm sorry, when? Um. So before Javert has decided he wants to, like, he goes to the bridge and mm-hmm. I it may not be an exact timeline to when he delivers Jean Valjean to his house. I apologize for that. Things are kind of blending together. Oh, it's, but it's fine. The most interesting thing about Javert's um, dying by suicide to me is that he's standing on the bridge and he's like, wait a second, I have to do something first. And then he walks to a, a police watch house and he writes down all these different feelings he has about things that should change in the French criminal justice system and like signs the letter, hands it to the guy who's on night duty and then goes back to the bridge and kills himself. That's wild. I don't remember that. It's fascinating. And it's things like, you know, the prisoners should be allowed to have chairs, you know, and it's just like really basic human need things. And it was cut out of the abridged version. Oh, it might've been because like it was beautiful to me that Javert, he thought about all these things and he was obviously having such a crisis about his understanding of prisoners being human beings and he can't live with it. He just simply cannot do it. So he writes this letter and he's like, there, I've put it down on, on paper basically. And then he walks back to the bridge and throws himself off of it. And it's so it was the only thing that made me feel for even a second that Javert might have been a human being. That's really fascinating. That's powerful. 
You know, I was actually surprised um, having seen the stage show first and two or three times. Um, and also knowing that Anne Hathaway won an Oscar for the role, Fantine is not in the book that much. Not much, no. No, she's the woman who dies who gives Jean Valjean purpose, and like it's pretty much, it's a little gross. Um, bless Anne Hathaway for singing her way through that and getting her Oscar, but like the, it's a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I think that especially since like. You know, we get to see a lot more. We get to spend time with a lot more characters and and see their nuance over time. Like we get to see Cosette grow up. Um, although you know, I think towards towards the end, she's becomes less and less of, of a character and more of a deferential wife um, yeah. to marry us pretty much as soon as they meet. Um, but you know, we get to we get to experience um, we get to experience characters over time. And you know, Fantine, Fantine is just um, she's there uh, to to die and base. I mean, essentially, yeah, like that's really about it. Ha- I mean, she's she's there. To, well, not just to die; she's there to have a, a truly miserable experience. God, um, does she? Um, yeah, it, 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 Cosette and Fantine as two characters are so weirdly indicative of Victor Hugo's particular predilections, which I did not know about until I started doing this podcast. And um, Victor Hugo loved himself some sex workers. Uh, Like nobody's business did that man like buying sex, Um, which is if you didn't know that prior to reading uh, Les Miserables, like he hates them in the or like he feels really just extreme mm-hmm. pity for oh, yeah. she has to uh turn to like prostitution in order to pay her bills and it's pious pity and it's very right. weird yeah it's weird that he like looks down upon Fontaine with like this heavenly pity and then you know in the same breath like you know puts a a quarter down. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Whatever the currency is at the time and, 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 and hops into bed with, a, with, you know, with a sex worker. Right. Um, literally when Victor Hugo died, the sex workers of Paris, like striked for the day, didn't work yeah. and wore black to his funeral. Are you serious? I'm a hundred percent serious. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> so like a man loved sex workers. Like he, and That's they really loved him back. Like he had a, he paid for a lot of sex, and it's just so funny to read in the text of him saying things like, "Oh, the degradation that we force women into. Like men, they'll be hungry, but I think something the line was like, men buy, and then when they're poor, they cannot buy, but women are forced to sell." And I'm just like, this is a weird thing coming from a guy who really liked hookers. Yeah, I think, um, and this is not necessarily a Catholicism thing. This might be just a Christian thing. That there's a, there's this weird fucking, like, relationship between, with sin and, and piety, like, that is just. Oh, that's a Christianity thing through and through. You know, and as a Jew, I don't get it. Um, It's weird. 
so because I, you know, I spent some time in the South, right? Like, so I did a residency yeah. in, in South Carolina and I, you know, spent a few years there and, you know, in around Georgia and stuff like that. And, you know, when my friend came to visit me when I was in my residency, he like, he mentioned something that like, I think really stuck with me, which is like, you're driving like down like I-85 or something, right? Mm-hmm. That like through Virginia, through, through the Carolinas. Yep. And you'd see the billboard. Um, a billboard for jesus uh-huh like hey heard of this guy yep you know like <laughs> hey um don't don't know if you knew but there's this dude um and then like a mile down the road um triple x like porn like porn warehouse like uh-huh. you know yep. like 30 300 dvds you know of all you know all stripes just like there's just like and the billboards are owned by the same company. <laughs> <laughs> right. But there's this kind of like, um, that there's this intense um, oscillation between like, I am doing the right thing. I am denying myself mm-hmm. all, all pleasure, uh, you know, and then like you, you fucking just, you stuff it in for so long. And then like you go on a fucking bender. You know what I mean? Hog wilds. You know, there's just, it's this relationship with, um, with abstinence and excess in particular, um, that I've noticed as being a a particularly Christian thing that like, is just so fucking crazy and unhealthy to me. Yeah. Um, Instead of just being like moderately horny, like God forbid (laughs) that just be like, instead of just having a normal and healthy relationship to, and it's almost always sex, like wealth doesn't even have the same uh, push and pull. But uh, again, I went, I grew up in the Catholic church. So it was very, very weird for a guy in robes surrounded by gold telling you to like give to the poor and you're like you first um (laughs) it's just kind of built i don't know what it is i i've also noticed it um but like i i just don't know what it is like i really really don't and it's so (sighs) i don't know i really don't it's um and it is it's a plague in the south uh, i have to say and like just other people I've met and relationships, you know, relationship I've had is that like, it's like this never ending conflict. Like this, this woman I dated, like her, her and, 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 and her brothers, you know, like they just had, they grew up in an, you know, uh, sort of evangelical family oh. and like they're, it's just this like constant, if there's a, there's turmoil where there should be no turmoil. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things is, is like, again, I grew up in the North and also Catholic and Catholic does have penance. Like you're supposed to do it every week. And so like, there's usually not a whole lot of time for it to build up. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But uh, Protestants and especially evangelicals, they don't have the same thing. They don't Mm -hmm. have the cleansing process. Um, it's like you get baptized to cleanse yourself of like original sin and declaring yourself a Christian in evangelical religion. And then it's like, and then just before you croak, you're supposed to say you're sorry. Like, and there's right. no in between. And I've noticed, I mean, with the sort of born again community that there is this kind of like, your, your identity is, is wrapped up in it in a way that like makes nuance and yeah, Javert yeah. Uh, makes nuance incompatible. Absolutely. Uh, like you are either on the right path 
or you're on the wrong path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then like, it, it takes a lot of courage to say, well, there's no path. Um, yeah. <laughs> you just, you just try your best and you're going to make mistakes along the way. And, you know, and that the more you deny how you feel, whether that's, you know, uh, pleasure or, you know, if, if you feel bad, like if you wronged someone and, and don't want to confront them about it or, or just like, you know, or if you're, or if you're closeted and you, and you don't want to come out to your family, like the more you deny yourself and your own feelings, the harder it is on you and the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and religion should not do that. No, <laughs> it's, it's still, that's actually like a huge part of the story, like of, uh, Les Miserables that like we didn't even touch on yet of just this is probably going to end up being like two and a half episodes just as it ends oh, up. Boy. I, I'm already sorry for Do not. great conversation and I really enjoy having it with you of just like how much trouble Jean Valjean gets by denying who he actually is and it's you just want him to be like okay, like admit to Cosette that you are not her real mm -hmm. father or her grandfather and what relationship you have to her mother and who her mother was. Like yeah. trying to deny this for 20 years is a dangerous and despicable proposition. Like honesty is a really good policy when it comes yeah. to stuff like this. I know, yeah. And it's, it's that weird, like Jean Valjean and Marius make this pact where it's like, well, for Cosette's own good, mm -hmm. you know, it's like this, this, this misguided attempt to protect people from the truth. And because um, Cosette is written as just like purity in human form, like the second she's told anything negative, she just kind of goes like, okay, you know, she's just like, <laughs> yeah. I, I understand, or I forgive you, or, you know, she's always accepting and she never holds grudges against anybody. So why they really well, fully believe yeah. that she can't he it's this like this myth of female purity and female weakness like is very pervading in the book and it makes me stabby <laughs> i mean yeah <laughs> uh, yeah 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 19th century feminism just you know it just was not very good <laughs> no, and even to the point where you have eponine who is she's gross, man. Like she's not great, but she's raised in a highly abusive situation. Yeah. And, you know, she is doing what she can in order to like feed herself and her siblings, you know, so that includes selling sex and things like that. And Marius just like sneers at her and finds her revolting and just absolutely. Oh, yeah. him. And then she goes and saves his goddamn life. I know. And he never even feels bad for it. Yeah, and like I think that's another way in which Marius is a fuckboy that we I don't think we've addressed is basically how he uses yeah. Eponine. Yeah, he uses like, her he, bad. he knows that she she, you know, is in love with him. Yeah. He knows that he's basically using using her to get to Cassette. You know, like figuring out where she lives and stuff like that and doing all these errands yeah. and that she would do anything for him and yeah. he is never going to reciprocate her feelings ever. Ever. Um, and even know. to the point where like Tenardier has followed Marius into this neighborhood and he's going to rob whoever Marius is like whatever house or building Marius is going to and Eponine keeps her father and his band of hooligans from mm -hmm. just 
enjoying the life of the woman that the man she loves loves. And you're just right. like, yeah, I mean, you did not deserve any of this. Yeah, she is. Um, I mean, almost all of the female characters are, you know, pit- pitiful in the, you know, yeah, in the narrative sense of the word. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, Victor Hugo doesn't write well-rounded female characters. And that is just shocking. And I'm so surprised. The man <laughs> a walking virgin whore complex. Like, he oh, just. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. He definitely grasped that women could be both, you know, or neither. And that's the thing, actually. Like, I think, I think that if I, I was to, you know, adapt this for modern times, like, I think all of the female characters could use uh, quite a rewrite. Just a little bit of a boost, like please. A little bit of agency and, um, you know. Eponine is is the closest to being a full human. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, she makes makes choices. um, Whereas, you know, Fantine is just basically a victim of circumstance. You know, Eponine has to be, she has to be, um, plucky and yeah. like serve and survive and so she has those skills and i never got the impression that eponine she had covetousness towards marius like she wanted him for herself but i don't know if she was ever she wasn't portrayed as being like a schoolgirl in love it's just that marius's level of poverty was still less than the just absolute degradation that she lived in and mm-hmm. she couldn't imagine having a mirror you know <laughs> yeah right for sure that sort of that hopefulness that she's given of just like she doesn't ever expect to be loved she doesn't ever expect you know to get anybody's attention she doesn't expect anything more than just like a slightly nicer hovel in her life that's just it's oh it's a more realistic portrayal of desire for Mm. a character than like other women are given in the book or men for that matter. Yeah. I think I think I think you're right. Um for sure. Um I think she's in it, you know, like I think when I originally watched the the musical, she didn't make much of an impression on me, but um I think in reading it this time, I think there are you know, it's really weird to see, you know, Eponine and her sister and Gavroche and like the children of these wicked people are not themselves wicked. Yeah. Um, they have the same cleverness, you know, the same instincts for survival, but like, you know, Gavroche like takes care of his two brothers without realizing they're his brothers, you know, they he have wants to fight the revolution, um, mm-hmm. not just because he's seven and thinks fighting is cool, but because like he's starving and anything's got to be better than this. Yeah, I think I think he I I do think he has a, a genuine. I mean, I think he's also thinks he's invis, invincible because that's he's survived so long, and that's how that's he ends true. up getting killed, um, because he's like, eh, they can't see me. There's a big cloud of smoke, you know. Yeah, and it's like, um, no, trained soldiers. And, you know. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I think he does have a desire to to see to see a better world. 
man, this, I, I don't know if I'm going to read it again for a very long time. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. I don't think I'm going to read it again for a very long time. It's, I haven't read it since I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So, yeah. It's been, a, although I've, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen the musical many times and whenever, and when there's any adaptation of it whatsoever, I seek it out. And sometimes like every few years I'll go and then I'll like binge the music again and, and sing along. Me and my sister would like to do a two person, um, lane where, <laughs> where we, where we do all the parts. Um, oh I, could recite, I could recite, I could recite, I could confidently recite 70% of the oh musical. God. Um, it's a long ass musical. I know. I love it. I can't, I can't. And this thing is that, like, another thing to to sort of, I think is is worth noting is that, like, you know, my nana was a musical person. She loved different kinds of musicals. She loved, you know, The Music Man and Guys and Dolls and blah blah blah. I don't like a lot of musicals. There are yeah. some I like. I like, you know, maybe three or four musicals. My sister is a musical person, like my nana. Like, she loves listening to musical soundtracks. I'm not like that. I only love Les Mis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I truly love it. I, I love, I love the music. I love the characters. Um, I, I get goosebumps to this day, listening to songs that I've heard dozens and dozens of times. I get goosebumps. On that wonderful note, maybe we should start to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, how can everybody keep in touch with you and your delightful work? Well, I just released a music video um that i filmed last year um before before COVID hit uh i finished it in late january and we sat on it for nine months oh buddy i'm sorry uh it's okay i mean because the idea originally the idea was like well when the band you know goes on tour that's a good opportunity to release it yada 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 and then we thought to ourselves well you know when this COVID thing is over in a month or two then we'll release it as people are getting back to work. No. Also foolish. And then we thought, you know, it's, and then, you know, like one crisis after another. Um, and finally and like, you were like, we're not getting any younger. Let's just do this. <laughs> honestly, it really got to the point where I was like, well, let's just release it before the election season comes up because we all know how crazy this shit's going to get. And no joke, the night before we released the music video, uh, Trump got COVID. And I was oh like, my God. I knew it. I knew, I knew something was going to happen. Yahtzee. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, I just <sighs> like when, when, when RBG died, like there was an earthquake in Los Angeles that night. Like it's, it's, you could not, if, if Victor Hugo read 2020, he'd be like, nah, it's true. I don't buy this shit. This is, this is all too coincidental. Um, but anyway, this is all to say that I have a music video and it's out. <laughs> um, you can the link is in the show notes for anybody who's listening because it's delightful. It's uh, nothing like they miss, uh, but it's um, it's got some it's got some spookiness. It's got some um, some uh, comedy in there a little bit. It's got some melancholy. It's all the things that I like. And um, you could see it on my website uh, johnokino.com, or you could you know go to it's also linked on my instagram as well which is also john okino and what's your twitter handle just in case anybody wants to stop my you twitter here. handle strangely enough is not john okino i messed up it's just my name jonathan eight and as always you can keep in contact with fuckboys of lit on twitter and instagram 
at the handle fuckboysoflit, that's B-O-I-S, or at fuckboysoflit.com. Up until November 30th, 2020, we are donating everything we get off of Patreon to the LA Regional Food Bank. So if you lend a helping hand, feel free to visit patreon.com slash fuckboysoflit. Again, that's B-O-I-S. I'm Emily Edwards, and have a good one. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.